Welcome to Think Intentional Podcast, a conversation designed to help individuals become high performers in life, leadership, and nutrition. I'm Sergio Cortez. Today's special guest is Mark Rump. He was here on our show a few months back where we discussed the challenges of becoming a man in the modern world and how to overcome them. If you haven't heard that episode yet, I highly recommend you check it out. On today's show, we'll be discussing leadership, specifically self-leadership, how to lead yourself well in a culture that is constantly changing. So Mark, how's it going? Welcome back. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, no, no, it's it's my pleasure. Well, catch us up. What have you been up to since uh, the last time you were on the show? You know, what have you learned? What have you implemented? Sure. So, um, you know, being a life coach, I work with people and I help them become open, open to possibilities, open to new ideas, open to new ways of processing things, open to failing, open to um, pretty much anything. And so, um, in the time since we last spoke, I have been doing work myself with being open. Yeah. And so um, I've actually taken on a few different challenges um, just to kind of make sure that I'm fine tuning myself um, and my skills so that I can then implement that um, as I coach my clients. So an example is I have tried, to, I've taken on the challenge for cutting out uh, qualifier words um, such as very or really or always. Um, so for example, where I would normally say, I'm a little frustrated. I've learned uh, that with being open, I can just say I'm frustrated and kind of sit in that um, in the realness of it and kind of work from there versus trying to hide behind qualifier words. So it's been really, it's, see, I said really, it's been um, quite the journey. <laughs> um, I've also taken up doing coffee and life sessions. So um, as, as a life coach, my passion is truly for helping people. And then the ministry side of me says, I want to um, also get a chance to know people's stories. And so I've taken up doing what I call coffee and life, where I will connect with different folks um, just over a cup of coffee at a local coffee shop and just kind of share my story with them, hear their story and just kind of where they are um, and just um, being able to connect with folks on a deeper level. Well, I think that's, uh, I, I think that's great, actually. <laughs> uh, most, most people just aren't that intentional about really adding value to someone else's life. But one of the things I, uh, I like that you said was listening to other people speak. And I think 90% of coaching is really just active listening. And for me, mm -hmm. that translates into, you know, being empathetic, right? That's, that's really what active listening comes down to. And that's what you're doing. You're allowing someone to, to be heard. And that I think is, uh, it's underestimated a lot. And especially, you know, now that coaching is such a new, it's not new, but it's growing very fast. Mm -hmm. And I think that, that's the number one issue that I see with a lot of the life coaches that I interact with. It's just learning how to be, you know, a great listener. And I like that you're doing that. You're, you're adding value to people's lives just, just by listening. Absolutely. And that is, that is a challenge. <laughs> um, I think society has trained us that we are not supposed to listen at the deepest level possible, but we're supposed to listen just enough to know what's being said. Um, but 
the other part of the time of us listening is us formulating an idea of how to respond. And so I've been training myself how to not be worried about my response and to truly be present um, and to really listen to what's being said so that it's not, the focus is not on my response, the focus is on me listening and then I can formulate my response after. Mm. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And that's usually where the best questions uh, come from. It's just truly, truly listening to what they're actually saying and uh, just being present, kind of like what you're doing. You're just, you're practicing being present, being more authentic. And uh, I, I think that translates very well into our topic today, which is really just learning how to be a better leader. Uh, specifically how to lead yourself well. And, uh, you know, I, I've often heard it said before in the past uh, through other other leaders, uh, you know, you, you can't be a leader worth following if you don't know how to lead yourself well. And I wanted to get your insight on that. You know, what are the principles of self-leadership and how do you execute? Um, when I think about this question, I think about Saul from the Bible. Um, he, he was a leader, um, but his failure came when he wasn't able to um, follow simple directions. And so when I think about this question, I think that being able to lead yourself well um, is a criteria that I certainly look for in folks that I um, look to follow in a, in a pastor or in a a manager or a supervisor, I'll definitely look for those criteria of how are you leading yourself? Because if you have mastered it already, then I can glean from that. But if you haven't yet mastered it, my confidence in what I will be able to glean from that relationship is kind of in question. Um, so it's kind of built on the principle that if you want to make a million dollars, you, you ask a millionaire, <laughs> you're not going to, um, you know, John Doe ask who's working a, a nine to five Monday through Friday and, and live in paycheck to paycheck, how to become a millionaire. The, essentially the principle is you go to someone who is, who has accomplished that, um, and you, you are able then to glean from their experiences and their, their knowledge. Hmm. So walk the talk basically. Pretty much. Okay. So once you, uh, you know, for someone who, who doesn't, who, who's just getting started or, or even a seasoned leader who's been doing this for a long time, uh, you know, sometimes it's easy to get tripped up in our own emotional state of mind. So how do you, how do you execute principles of self-leadership? Where, where's the proof that someone's leading their, themselves well? Um, what I look for is, are you a man of a man or woman of your word? If you say you're going to meet me Monday for coffee, um, does Monday come and we meet? Does Monday come and you got sidetracked? Did you forget? Did I have to text you? Were you late? Were you on time? Were you early? Um, I just look for those little, uh, those subtle things that show commitment, that show interest, and show um, dedication. I also um, you know, myself, I try to not overcommit to things. So that's also what I look for in someone who who's a leader are, is, are they managing their schedule well? Do they have good um, time management skills? Um, are they constantly looking to improve themselves or do they think that they have arrived? If, in my opinion, a leader never arrives. A leader always has something to learn and should always be growing because we were designed to grow. Everything that has life is designed to grow. And when you stop growing, you, you die. And so I'm looking for how are you continuing 
the process of growth and development in your own life. Um, and then are you organized? I'm a big person about organization. And so it matters to me if we, you know, had a meeting scheduled for eight o'clock and you show up at eight ten. That that kind of thing matters. Um, and so that's something that I look for as well. Okay. And how do you lead yourself or in your own life? Can you share an example? Sure. So um, just recently, I was asked to join the leadership team at my church. And so before I said yes, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't being I wasn't committing to something that was going to be an overcommitment. And so I looked at my schedule. I checked with my wife to see what things were involved in currently. Would this be OK to take on? Would it be manageable to take on? Um, and so I, I started with the the overcommitment or the level of commitment. Um, I recently also was asked to um, kind of co-run a men's group that's actually outside of the church, which I'm excited about because it's it's not um, it's it's giving men a safe space to feel and be heard outside of the church, um, and I'm excited about that. And so when I was asked to do that, um, you know. I, I just wanted to make sure that, again, I wasn't being overcommitted and that I, I was 100% bought into what was happening so that I could be 100% all in. Wow, that's uh, <laughs> that's pretty fantastic news, actually. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Nice. So how are you preparing yourself for that role once after you've discussed it with your wife? So um, they sent me the materials and just kind of, uh, gave me the basis of what that men's group was all about and what they what the principles are and what their the contract is between the the members of the group and I just um, I've just been sitting with and and getting excited about it and knowing that it's not anything that I have to put on for it's not a it's not a show thing it's not a anything other than just showing up and uh, and helping men start the journey of being present and feeling and sitting with their feelings and not shooing them away or not uh, minimizing them, but really just sitting with them, feeling them and processing them. Nice. Yeah, I, I like that. It's, uh, that's pretty big opportunity you got there. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, so, you know, you're, you just received essentially a leadership role from your church, but for someone who, mm-hmm. you know, for someone who doesn't have the title, of of the leader, for example, how do you how do you communicate exceptional self leadership in the very early stages of career? I think that you have to find out where you fit in, and then you have to make the most of it. And so, when we relocated back to um, the the Rochester area where we live now, um, we went back and we joined the church that we were members of before we left. And that was now about three or four months ago. And so I didn't walk into a leadership position. I didn't come back and they're like, hey, let's lead. You know, I came back and I I kind of found out where I fit in. Um, I took it upon myself to look around the church and see the areas that were missing. For me, I'm big on diversity. I think any organization should have at least 20% diversity in leadership as well as in and it's membership. And so I started looking at the church and saying, I don't see enough of this culture. I don't see enough of this culture. And so when I did see that culture come in, I, I wanted to make sure that they felt welcome and apart. And so I made it a point that when we have what we call family time, 
which is about five minutes right before the sermon where we can just go around, hug somebody, shake their hand, meet somebody new. I've, I've gone up to them, shook, shaken their hand, got their name, got their number, and then stayed in contact with them. So I just recently had coffee with one of the new um, people uh, that attend the church and just kind of got to hear their story and where they came from and what they were looking forward to in life and their giftings and their callings. And so I didn't need an official leadership position to start making waves where I currently was located. Right. So you essentially saw a problem and without being asked to solve it, you just took the initiative. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say that's a pretty big quality in self-leadership. It's it's really just what's the issue? Do something about it. Don't wait till someone says, can you go take care of that, please? Be the leader. Take the initiative. And um I like that. That's uh, pretty fantastic, actually. Absolutely. And, and, and oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. And I was going to also just tag on to that. In my uh, career path at the company that I work for, we have what's called shadowing. And so if you come in as an account manager, but you have aspirations to become a supervisor or a manager, we have what they call shadowing, where you can shadow different leaders and you can do different competencies that would prepare you for the role so that when that way when one role becomes available you're not like a johnny come lately where you're just like i think i can do the role but you have actually been putting in the work um kind of in your in your normal role you've been also putting in the work maybe leading the team meetings or uh doing something you know, handling an, 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 ooh, an escalation call if the supervisor is out of the office or something like that. And really, it's with the intent that this is where I want to go. I know that's where I want to go. And so I'm tracking to get there. Yeah, I think that's uh, fantastic. So you're you're also seeing self-leadership uh, being promoted in your organization as well, which is great. You know, I, I think that, uh, you know, at least from my perspective, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. I, I think one of the, the biggest issues with leadership is self-deception. And, you know, we see this in politics. We see this in church. I mean, we've seen this throughout history. It's, you know, you mentioned Saul, for example. Uh, he, was, he was righteous in God's eye. And, but later on, he started taking on a new form that, you know, molded into something completely different than what God had in mind. And so self-deception, I think, is, is, a, is a big problem that most people aren't always susceptible to seeing. And it's not always easy as well, you know, to look at the man in the mirror and say, I'm prepared for the truth. I, I'm prepared. You know, I made my bed. Now I have to sleep in it. Uh, noticing that is very difficult, I think. So how does brutal honesty fit into self-leadership and how can, how can a leader catch the subtle lies that seep into his performance? Hmm. How does brutal honesty fit into self-leadership? I think it's a major requirement. If you want to lead effectively, you have to uh, be in tune with yourself. What is my heart? What is my true heart? What are my motives for doing what I'm doing? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Um, you know, a commitment to constant studying and, and refining, I think, is huge. I think it's a huge um, requirement because nobody, in my opinion, nobody has all of the answers. And so being brutally honest with yourself, looking at the man in the mirror and, and kind of doing a heart check 
often I think is huge. Um, that's kind of what I do coaching. I serve as an accountability partner for my clients. So if I have a client that comes to me and says, I want to lose 50 pounds, I'm holding them accountable. So when they come to our session, they say, well, last week I overate by my calories and I didn't go to the gym as many times as I said. So if the goal was was three and I only did two, I'm holding them accountable. I'm saying, well, this is what you said you wanted. How are you going to align your actions to get there? And so I think if I can do it for others, I have to also be able to do it for myself. Um, and so I think when you're when it comes down to managing yourself as well, I think it's good to outsource and get a friend or a spouse or a family member that can hold you accountable um, to doing the things with integrity that you are a part of. So w- what if you don't have somebody? What if, uh, you know, maybe you're new to town, you just moved in, uh, you really don't know anyone. How do you how do you catch those lies? There is an art to sitting alone in quiet time without the TV on, without the radio on, without scrolling through social media, without doing all of these things that distract us. I've One of these the things that I do is I've learned how to just sit alone and be quiet and kind of rehash and think through different things of life so that I can get a clear picture of what's happening. So for someone who doesn't have anybody that they can call to keep them accountable and to keep them their motives fresh and to kind of check them, I would recommend them just kind of sitting alone, um, you know, dedicating time to just be alone and process through things um, and allowing their heart to uh, just kind of be checked with their own mental space. Okay. Yeah, I think that, that sounds pretty good. And so for someone who has never actually done that before, what what are, are there steps to that? Or do you just do you just turn off the radio, the the music, the TV, and just kind of sit and deep breathe or good question. So I I personally um lay in my living room on the floor and turn the lights off and just kind of lay there. Um you can deep breathe. Um, what works for me is just kind of resting my body on the floor. So I'm not holding myself up. So I'm just laying flat on the floor, looking up to the ceiling or out at the stars through the window um, and just kind of just breathing in and out and thinking about whatever it is. So if I'm if I'm trying to do a heart check with, let's say, leadership in my church, I'm going to think about am I what are my motives for doing what I'm doing? Am I doing it for vainglory? Am I do you know am I am I serving out of false humility? Am I really humble? Um and as you think in that space, your mind and your heart um connect and it take that they connect in such a way and it, it causes you to journey um to maybe some deeper things that were under the surface um that just a, a hint of intentionality kind of uncovers. Hmm. That's pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's deep, man. <laughs> that is deep for sure. I, I wish more people really just had that same outlook, and especially in our world. I think it mm-hmm. pays to really just kind of sit down and, and just reflect and, how am I actually, well, one of the things I always recommend to my clients is to journal. And the reason I recommend journaling is, well, I, I love writing, uh, but I know not everyone likes to write, but I still mm-hmm. recommend it. And the reason I recommend it is because it's a great way to observe yourself. It's a great way to grow character. 
and okay, well, here's how I did, you know, last week. How can I do better this coming week? You know, what did I do that maybe wasn't that uh, great or, you know, maybe uh, did I did I not have enough humility? Did that, uh, you know, did I not really do my best? Did I not communicate with God? Uh, you know, what, what was going on in me? And just kind of commenting on that. And uh, but I like your perspective as well, because I think it's great to sort of merge both of them and just kind of laying down in your living room, deep breathing and just reflecting on, you know, the questions that you asked yourself earlier, in addition to potentially journaling you know, a couple times a week, or maybe even every day, if you're, if you're really, uh, uh, you know, ready to see that feedback Absolutely. on paper. I, I agree 110%. Um, as a minister, I, and coming up through uh, churches that were steeped in being religious and legalistic, um, I actually got to a point in my spiritual walk with God where I couldn't pray for two years. I just, everything about prayer had been traumatized through my experiences of coming up through the church and, and through different ranks and everything. I literally could not force myself to pray because I had been a part of, of something that said, you have to pray for an hour each day or, or you're not considered a good Christian. And it was, it was coming from the wrong heart space. And so journaling was actually one thing that I did to communicate with God and to unload everything that was in my head and in my heart. Um, and you're right, it was able to give me a, a better picture of who I am. And when I got the better picture, actually, of who God was, I got the better picture of who I was. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree 100%. You know, when you can really know who God is, that's when you know who you are 100%. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think as Christians, it's it's our job to be exceptional self-leaders because we are to communicate the gospel in such a way where it's not being legalistic. Like you don't have to pray for an hour. Mm-hmm. You can just, you can literally be chopping fruits and, you know, just having a quick conversation with God. It, it doesn't have to be about, you know, praying rosaries or anything That's like right. that. It's just a one-on-one conversation, kind of like you and I are having. And mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah, I think you, you made a really good point just now. How do you think, you know, and I don't want to go too off topic, but how do you think, uh, you know, the church of tomorrow should look I like. I think the church of tomorrow looks like you and I. Okay. I think that it's people um, connecting with other people with Christ at the center of their heart. Um, I think in the past, at least in my circles, we've made evangelism kind of weird and kind of awkward. And, you know, I'm going to come up to you, hand you a track and preach to you. Um, I think the church of tomorrow looks like an encounter before a correction. Um, and so I think people are hungry for an encounter with God. And if we are light bearers and if, if God lives in us, they should be encountering his goodness and his presence when they encounter us. And that way uh, it sparks an interest in them where they wonder, well, why do you come to work every day and you're smiling? Why are you always happy? And it's not that we always have good days, but I think the church of tomorrow is allowing ourselves to be to walk so closely with God that the people on the outside can feel his presence through us Mm -hmm. and what do you think would be the first step towards that I think breaking through that that religious uh, lens just taking a chair and shattering the whole thing that keeps us back and that makes it seem as if our works qualify us for anything and just learning more and more that we are sons and daughters and not orphans and that 
there's nothing we could do to deserve God's love. There's not a single thing that we could do to deserve his love, but because he's a good father, he loves us and he's there with us and he wants the best for us. Um, and when we really embody that, I feel that the other part just will happen on its own. Okay. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. So how do you think a leader should prioritize what he or she values most versus what they want now? And what is the process for learning and discovering those core values, assuming they don't already mm -hmm. know what those are? I think about the quote that says, if you fail to plan, then you plan to fail. And so when it comes to prioritizing what you want at a future date versus what you want now, I think that you have to plan. You have to sit down and write out what it is that you want because you can never arrive at a destination unless you know where you intend to go. Um, I also would say that it's intentionally saying no to more things. Can you come out Friday for a movie? No. I want to take Friday evenings and spend an hour and a half writing my book because I want my book to be published in the next year. Can you do this? No. Um, I think that there is a stigma against saying no, <laughs> um, but I, I fully believe in the power of no because every time we say no to something, we're saying yes to something else. And in my experiences, I've found that my yeses and my noes don't always line up with what I want. And so I think the power of saying no to what um, distractions try to come in and saying yes to what I'm, what I'm really looking to have come to pass in the next few days, months, or years. Hmm. How do you learn to say no? <laughs> funny, funny that you asked me that. I literally Googled uh, <laughs> nice ways to say no. <laughs> and I, I, I made a list and it sounds funny, but I, I literally did it because I wanted to um, take control of my life and take control of my yeses and nos. Um, and I think if we are honest, we will realize areas where we're saying yes out of obligation, where we're saying yes half-heartedly, or we're saying yes just because saying no would cause some sort of ripple. And what I've done is once I've started identifying that my motives and my intents are not pure or not wholehearted, I have given myself permission to say no. Mm, okay. Yeah, I like that for sure. I, I think it's a, a process. It, it's, mm -hmm. it's kind of like the movie Yes Man. Did you ever see that? Will uh -huh. Perry? Yeah. Yeah, where he basically just says no to absolutely everything, but he went to another extreme. I mean, he, he went to the point where he just didn't have a life, and then mm -hmm. he went to that seminar where he learned to become a yes man, and then he went to the other extreme where he was saying yes <laughs> to everything, including right. marrying a an online Persian wife. And... Mm -hmm. uh, uh, <laughs> and then, you know, he had to go through some learning lessons where he realized there's a balance to this. And uh, I, think, I think there's a lot of people like that as well. I think some people just, they constantly say no to everything and they go to the other extreme where now they're just saying yes. And then later mm -hmm. on, they realize, wait a minute, there's a, there's, there's a process, there's a balance here. I think that it happens as a result of listening to what's important, um, kind of paying attention to what happens inside your body when somebody lets you down. You know, that means that um, 
being trustworthy and being responsible is a, a core value of yours. Or uh, if somebody degrades you, um, you know, that how those different interactions affect us inside our body is a telltale sign of what we think is important. And once we start on the track of figuring out what's important, write it down and make a list. And those are the core values that you can then instill as a leader in your church, as a leader in your business, as a leader in your family, um, you know, as a leader anywhere. I think it starts with looking within and figuring out what's important. And if you if you're kind of like Dorothy on the yellow brick road and you don't know, <laughs> you don't know, um, I think the first step is just stopping and going over different scenarios that have affected you and figuring out why did this affect me? I'll tell you a quick story. My dad passed away when I was nine. And because of that, I stopped feeling. And so from nine to 26, I didn't feel things. I didn't process at a deep level. I just, things would just ricochet off of my um, comedy or, or humorous mask. And I, I didn't engage deeply in a lot of things. Um, and when I started dating who is my, now my wife, she helped me to dig deeper and to go beyond I'm angry. Okay, it's great to be angry. Now, why are you angry? What's beneath that? And so I would say forcing or allowing yourself rather to go beyond that first step of I'm angry or I'm, I'm hurt or I'm let down or whatever and figuring out what contributed to that so that you can then build a principle into that of what you think is important. That's a great point you just made. And to add to that, I also think it's important to focus on how you feel different negative emotions. It could be frustration. Mm -hmm anger or disappointment and then submerging yourself into these emotions like a professional scuba diver and asking yourself what's this emotion for where did it come from what exactly does it want to tell me and what can i do to resolve this and i would even dare to say that anger is not the problem i would dare to say that ignoring anger is the problem um and I can speak from my own experiences growing up. I was told, you know, anger rests in the bosom of a fool. And we had Bible class about how you're not supposed to be angry. And it bypasses the reality that God created anger. God himself was angry. So that lets me know that there is a proper way in which to be angry. And instead of uh, going down this path of anger is not acceptable, figuring out how to properly be angry and use that because if something makes you angry that means it's important that means it has struck something deep within you and so to pay attention to that versus to try to uh sweep it under the carpet i think would help in a, in many ways so what is your approach to helping men acknowledge that history and make positive changes um, so uh, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I've actually opened up my business. So while I still have a focus or a niche with coaching men, I've actually opened it up to women as well, because I think that women benefit from coaching just as well as men. And so I, I decided that I didn't want to limit myself to just men. Um, but this question also um, let me to like, I wanted to share too, that with when it comes down to coaching, Coaching is is not a teaching profession. And so, you know, my clients aren't coming to the coaching call expecting me to teach them anything. And so really what I do is I partner with them and I ask them powerful questions that cause them to look within and kind of come to their own conclusions. Um, we come to different points 
in a coaching conversation where they'll hit a wall or they'll hit a limiting belief. And again, I'm asking them questions as to, to help them break through that. It's not me teaching because and that was that was a rough transition for me um, because I'm used to mentoring in the church and I'm used to being an example and teaching um, Bible classes and things like that. And so. I, I, I like this approach in coaching because it allows that person to exercise their muscles um, within themselves to figure it out. And, and that way they can use that same tactic or those same muscles later on in life and in different scenarios. And I completely agree with that as well, because that's exactly how I approach coaching. It often leads people to make the connection between what they want or need and how to get there. But then there's always going to be those people who really can't seem to make that jump from figuring out what they want and how to get there and need more firm direction as to how to get there. I think that's an interesting point because I, at least I found that people actually do like to be told what to do um, um, because we're used to this mentality and this understanding that there's always a right answer to a question. And you know, there's always this uh, mentor, uh, consultant type understanding to life. Um, and so, you know, we go to the doctor to be told what to do. Take this medication three times a day for the next five days and you'll be better. Um, we go to a counselor. Um, I'm dealing with this pain. They say, okay, this is what you need to do. Do this exercise. Write down this. And so I found that people have grown accustomed to being told what to do. And so coaching helps us break through that norm and really unlock their abilities to, um, to uh, engage with the deep truths that lie within, um, which already would then come, come attached with their buy-in because it's coming from within themselves. And it will resonate with them at a deeper level because it's coming from within and not from without. Mark, if today were your last day on earth, what would be your final advice to the world? I would give the world three points. Point number one, slow down. Slow down and engage with the world around you. Um, I think that, at least in my own life, I've grown accustomed to a fast-paced life. The hustle and bustle, making sure I fit in a million things every day that my to-do list has so many items on it because I have so much to do. Um, you know, and, and I, I at times get lost in trying to take things off the to-do list and I don't slow down and, and live in the moment at times. And so I would say slow down. I would say, uh, I would say that because the other day I, I asked the question on my Instagram page. I said, if you had one year to live from today, only one year left, what would you do? How would you spend your time? And people, um, as they answered this question said, I would slow down. I would spend more time with my loved ones. I would quit my job and different things like that. And it, it resonated with me so deeply because I don't want to be faced with a terminal diagnosis to do what I would do if I had that diagnosis. And so I want to live each moment as if it could be my last so that I can live it to the fullest. So point one is slow down. Point number two is be present. Um, I've, I've grown up with a tendency to live three or four steps ahead of where I, I currently am. <laughs> and so, you know, if I'm at the movies for date night, I'm thinking about getting in the car and driving through the snow to get back home. And did I leave the heat on? And my, my brain goes so far into the future that sometimes I forget to be present in the moment. And so my first point would be to slow down. My second point would be to be present. And my third point would be to love big. Um, the world is craving love in so many ways. 
And any opportunity we have to love and to love big, I would say take that and run with it. How do you make that advice practical? <laughs> you have to be intentional about it. You, you have to realize that um, you have the control over your life. It's not an external locus of control, but it's an internal thing. And you have to just make the decision. Like Nike says, you just got to do it. <laughs> hey, Mark. So if someone wants to inquire about your coaching or just get in touch with you and ask you questions, what would be the best place for them to do that? They can reach out to me via Instagram at Remarkable Life Coaching. Um, I also have a, face, a Facebook page under the same name, so they can contact me through either way. Well, thank you again for being on our show. We definitely look forward to hearing more of your wisdom and how you're making a change around the world. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you again to Mark Rump for being our guest. And for those listening, please visit thinkintentional.com to learn more about us and our services. Remember to subscribe on our website, iTunes, or Blueberry for the latest episodes on Conversations with Leaders.